We're continuing our reading of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And just yesterday, I heard Prabhupada say in a lecture from my little red box that just by hearing about Krishna and his pastimes, one will naturally become a devotee. And he said, we're seeing it now that people come and they don't know how to perform devotional service or they're not acquainted with it, but just by hearing about Krishna and the assembly of devotees, then naturally they become attracted and start up the process of devotional service. Not only does one uh, gain pious credits, Punya Shravana Kirtana, but one naturally becomes attracted to performing devotional service just by hearing. And uh, someone had written me recently, that is within the last 12 hours, saying, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to listen to the pastimes of Krishna. And I, and this person was more attracted to the like philosophical points. I can relate to that because when I first came to the Krishna consciousness movement, I couldn't figure it out what, what these stories were all about in the Bhagavatam until I got into the association of devotees and, and I was hearing the stories and then it kind of captured me. But before that, I only liked Bhagavad Gita, Sri Upanishad, the philosophical kind of things. So I, when I wrote back, I just had repeated what Prabhupada had said, and if, saying that if you just keep listening to the pastimes of Krishna, then they'll have their own effects. Because Krishna says in the in the eleventh canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, actually it's Shukadev, but he mentions how was that verse? Vijutiridayam the Yasyasakshat. He says by hearing the the pastimes of Krishna, or if you even incidentally. Uh, chant his names even by mistake then Krishna has a, uh, a way that he becomes attached to you and he stays in your heart what to speak of somebody earnestly hears about his pastimes and I, we heard the story about Prabhupada's um, god brother what was this, that scholar's name he wrote all those books yeah Obiel Kapoor and how he had, and as a young man, he had been attracted to the other, some of the other learned devotees in the Gaudiya Mat who were out preaching. And he thought, I want to be like them. But he was a Mayavadi. And Srila Bhaktisiddhanta's students came back and told Srila Bhaktisiddhanta that there's this really bright young man, but he's a Mayavadi, and he wants to, become more involved. So Srila Bhaktisiddhanta had him come. Obiel Kapoor told the devotees in ISKCON, uh, some of the devotees in ISKCON this. And he was invited to, to meet Srila Bhaktisiddhanta. And Srila Bhaktisiddhanta came out and spoke to him. He didn't ask him any questions or exchange any pleasantries. He just spoke Krishna Kata. That is about these Vrindavan pastimes to him for about an hour and then he got up and walked out and he didn't say anything else to him. And Obi-Wan Kapoor said he came and he regularly 
listen to the lectures of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta over six months. And he used to raise his hand to ask questions, but Maharaj never called on him. <laughs> and then he said he was, he was in a debate with a king because he was known as a, a, a very up-and-coming, bright person, spiritually inclined, an expert at debate. And so there was this mock debate going on with the king. And by that time, he had been so moved by Srila Bhaktisiddhanta and hearing Krishna Kata that he was at a point where he could have defeated the king. And the king was taking the position of the Mayavadis and doing what's called ch changing the field. He w they juggle words so they can squirm out of it. And he had learned so much, had Obiel Kapoor, from hearing Srila Bhaktisiddhanta that he could defeat the Mayavadis and the king changed the field, and then uh, Obi Kapoor realized I could defeat him right now. But then he looked around and he saw that if he had embarrassed the king at that point, it would have been really bad for him. Even he said he saw guards with their hands on their swords and stuff like that. But at that moment, he realized that the transformation had been complete just by hearing Krishna Kata from his guru. And then he became who he was, transformed because of it. So, especially Krishna Kata is so transformational. If anyone just hears about Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, which to most people, as we talked about this morning, is almost repugnant because of the idea that there is, how could there be a Supreme Person? I'm the Supreme Person. Viparyayosmiti, there's a, a mentality of challenging the Supreme and a I am the center, why, why should somebody else be all-powerful? Krishna recovers the son of his teacher. When Lord Krishna saw Vasudeva and Devaki standing in a reverential attitude, he immediately expanded his influence of yoga maya so they could treat him and Balaram as children. As in the material world, the relationship existing between father and mother and children can be established amongst different living entities by the influence of the illusory energy. So, by the influence of yoga maya, the devotee can establish a relationship in which the Supreme Personality of Godhead is his child. After creating this situation by his yoga maya, Krishna appearing with his elder brother Balaram as the most illustrious son in the dynasty of the Sattvatas, very submissively and respectfully addressed Vasudeva and Devaki. My dear father and mother, although you have always been anxious for the protection of our lives, you could not enjoy the pleasure of having us as your babies, as your growing boys, and as the adolescent youth. Krishna indirectly praised the fatherhood of Nanda Maharaj and motherhood of Yashoda as most glorious because although he and Balaram were not their born sons, Nanda and Yashoda actually enjoyed their childhood pastimes. By nature's own arrangement, the childhood of the embodied living being is enjoyed by his parents. Even in the animal kingdom, parents are found to be affectionate to their cubs. Being captivated by the activities of their offspring, they take much care for their well-being. As for Vasudeva and Devaki, they were always anxious for the protection of their sons, Krishna and Balaram. That is why Krishna, after his appearance, was immediately transferred to another's house. Balaram was also transferred from Devaki's womb to Rohini's womb. 
Vasudev and Devaki were full of anxieties for Krishna's and Balaram's protection, but they could not enjoy their childhood pastimes. Krishna said, Unfortunately, being ordered by our fate, we could not be raised by our own parents to enjoy childhood pleasures at home. My dear father and mother, a man cannot repay his debts to his parent debt to his parents, from whom he gets this body, which can bestow upon him all the benefits of material existence. According to the Vedic injunctions, this human form of life enables one to perform all kinds of religious activities, fulfill all kinds of desires, and acquire all kinds of wealth. And only in this human form is there every possibility that one can get liberation from material existence. This body is produced by the combined efforts of the father and mother. Every human being should be obliged to his parents and understand that he cannot repay his debt to them. If, after growing up, a son does not try to satisfy his parents by his actions or by an endowment of riches, he is surely punished after death by this superintendent of death and made to eat his own flesh. If a person is able to care for or give protection to old parents, a chaste wife, children, the spiritual master, brahmanas, and other dependents, but does not do so, he is considered already dead, although he is supposedly breathing. My dear father and mother, you have always been anxious for our protection, but unfortunately, we could not render any service to you. Until now, we have simply wasted our time due to reasons beyond our control. We could not serve you. Mother and father, please excuse us for our sinfulness. When the Supreme Personality of God was speaking as an innocent boy in very sweet words, Vasudeva and Devaki became captivated by parental affection and embraced him with great pleasure. They were amazed and could not speak or answer the words of Krishna, but simply embraced him and Balaram in great affection and remained silent, shedding incessant tears. Having thus consoled his father and mother, <clears throat> the Supreme Personality of Godhead, appearing as the beloved son of Devaki, approached his grandfather, Ugrasena, and announced that Ugrasena would now be the king of the Yadu kingdom. Kangsa had been forcibly ruling the kingdom of Yadu in spite of the presence of his father, whom he had arrested. But after the death of Kangsa, his father was released and announced to be the monarch of the Yadu kingdom. <clears throat> it appears that in those days in the western part of India, there were many small kingdoms ruled by the Yadu dynasty, Andaka dynasty, Vrishni dynasty, and Boja dynasty. Maharaj Ugrasena belonged to the Boja dynasty. Therefore, Krishna indirectly declared that the king of the Boja dynasty would be the emperor of the other small kingdoms. Krishna willingly asked Maharaj Ugrasena to rule over himself and Balaram because they were his subjects. The word praja is used both for progeny and for citizens. So Krishna belonged to the praja both as a grandson of Maharaj Ugrasena's and as a member of the Yadu dynasty. Thus, he voluntarily accepted the rule of Maharaj Ugrasena. He informed Ugrasena 
being cursed by Yayati, the kings of the Yadu dynasty may not occupy the throne. It will be our pleasure to act as your servants. My full cooperation with you will, be, will make your position more exalted and secure so that the kings of other dynasties will not hesitate to pay their respective revenues. Protected by me, you will be honored even by the demigods from the heavenly planets. My dear grandfather, out of fear of my late uncle Kangsa, all the kings belonging to the Yadu, Vrishni, Andaka, Madhu, Dasharha, <coughs> and Kukura dynasties were very anxious and disturbed. Now you can pacify them all and give them assurance of security. The whole kingdom will be peaceful. All the kings in the neighboring area had left their homes in fear of Kangsa and were living in distant parts of the country. Now, after the death of Kangsa and the reinstallment of Ugrasena as king, the neighboring kings were given all kinds of presentations and comforts. <clears throat> when they returned to their respective homes, then they returned to their respective homes. After this nice political arrangement, the citizens of Mathura were pleased to live in Mathura, being protected by the strong arms of Krishna and Balaram. On account of good government in the presence of Krishna and Balaram, the inhabitants of Mathura felt complete satisfaction in the fulfillment of all their material desires and necessities. And because they saw Krishna and Balaram daily face to face, they soon forgot all material miseries completely. As soon as they saw Krishna and Balaram coming out on the street, very nicely dressed and smiling and looking at the citizens with grace, <clears throat> the citizens were immediately filled with loving ecstasies simply by seeing the personal presence of Mukunda. The name Mukunda refers to one who can reward liberation and transcendental bliss. Krishna's presence acted as such a vitalizing, vitalizing tonic that not only the younger generation, but even the old man of, men of Mathura became fully invigorated with youthful energy and strength by regularly seeing him. Nanda Maharaj and Yashoda were also living in Mathura because Krishna and Balaram were there. But after some time, they wanted to go back to Vrindavan. Krishna and Balaram went before Nanda and Yashoda and very affectionately embraced them. And then the two lords spoke as follows. Dear father and mother, although we were born of Vasudeva and Devaki, you have been our real father and mother because from our very birth, in childhood, you raised us with great affection and love. Your affectionate love for us was more than anyone can offer one's own children. You were, all, you were actually our father and mother because you raised us as your own children when we were just like orphans. For certain reasons, we were rejected by our father and mother, and you protected us. Dear father and mother, we know that you will feel separation upon returning to Vrindavan and leaving us here. But please rest assured that we shall come back to Vrindavan just after giving some satisfaction to our real father and mother, Vasudev and Devaki, and our grandfather and other family members. 
Krishna and Balaram thus satisfied Nanda and Yashoda by sweet words and by presentations of various kinds of clothing, ornaments, and copper utensils. They satisfied them, along with their friends and neighbors who would come with them from Vrindavan to Mathura as fully as possible. On account of excessive parental affection for Balaram and Krishna, Nanda Maharaj felt tears in his eyes and he embraced them and started with the cowherd men for Vrindavan. After this, Vasudev had his sons initiated by sacred thread as the token of the second of second birth, which is essential for the higher castes of human society. <clears throat> Vasudev called for his family priest and learned Brahmanas, and the sacred thread ceremony of Krishna Balaram was was duly performed. During this ceremony, Vasudev gave various ornaments and charity to the Brahmanas. And endowed, with the, and endowed them with cows decorated with silken cloths and golden ornaments. Then Vasudev remembered the cows he had wanted to give in charity to the Brahmanas after the birth of Krishna and Balaram. But being imprisoned by Kangs at that time, Vasudev had been unable to do so only within his mind, for Kangsa had stolen all his cows. With the death of Kangsa, his cows were released, and now Vasudev gave the actual cows to the Brahmanas. Then Balaram and Krishna were duly initiated with the sacred thread ceremony, and they repeated the chanting of the Gayatri Mantra. The Gayatri Mantra is offered to disciples after the sacred thread ceremony, and Balaram and Krishna properly discharged the duties of chanting this mantra. Anyone who executes the chanting of this mantra has to abide by certain principles and vows. Although Balaram and Krishna are transcendental personalities, they strictly followed the regulated principles. They were initiated by their family priest, Gargacharya, usually known as Gargamuni, the Acharya of the Yadu dynasty. According to Vedic culture, every respectable family has an Acharya, or spiritual master. <clears throat> One is not considered a perfectly cultured man without being initiated and trained by an acharya. It is said, therefore, that one who has approached an acharya is actually in perfect knowledge. Lord Krishna and Lord Balaram are the supreme personality of Godhead, the master of all education and knowledge. There is no need for them to accept a spiritual there was no need for them to accept a spiritual master or acharya. Yet for the instruction of ordinary men, they also accepted a spiritual master for advancement in spiritual knowledge. It is customary after being initiated in the Gayatri Mantra for one to live away from home for some time under the care of the acharya to be trained in spiritual life. During this period, one has to work under the spiritual master and as an ordinary menial servant. There are many rules and regulations for a brahmachari living under the care of an acharya, and Krishna and Balaram strictly followed those regulatory principles while living under the instruction of their spiritual master, Sandipani Muni, who was a resident of Antardweep, excuse me, Avantipur in the northern Indian district of Ujjain. 
According to scriptural injunctions, a spiritual master should be respected and regarded on an equal level with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Krishna and Balaram exactly followed those principles with great devotion and underwent the regulations of brahmacharya. Thus they satisfied their spiritual master who instructed them in Vedic knowledge. Being very satisfied, Sandipani Muni instructed them in all the intricacies of Vedic wisdom and in supplementary literature such as the Upanishads. Because Krishna and Balaram happened to be Kshatriyas, they were specifically trained in military science, politics, and ethics. Politics includes such departments of knowledge as how to make peace, how to fight, how to pacify, how to divide and rule, and how to give shelter. All these items were fully explained and instructed to Krishna and Balaram. The ocean is the source of water in a river. The cloud is created by the evaporation of ocean water, and the same water is distributed as rain all over the surface of the earth and then returns to the ocean in rivers. So Krishna and Balaram, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, are the source of all knowledge. But because they were playing like ordinary human boys, they set the example so that everyone would receive knowledge from the right source. Thus, they agreed to take knowledge from a spiritual master. After hearing only once from their teacher, Krishna and Balaram, learned, after hearing only once from their teacher, Krishna and Balaram learned all the arts and sciences. In 64 days and 64 nights, they learned all the necessary arts and sciences required in human society. During the daytime, they took lessons on a subject from the teacher, and by nightfall, they were expert in that department of knowledge. First of all, they learned how to sing, how to compose songs, and how to recognize the different tunes. They learned the favorable and unfavorable accents and meters, how to sing different kinds of rhythms and melodies, and how to follow them by beating different kinds of drums. They learned how to dance to the rhythm of melody and different songs. They learned how to write dramas, and they learned the various types of painting, from simple village arts up to the highest professional stage. They also learned how to paint tilak on the face by making different kinds of dots on the forehead and cheeks. Then they learned the art of making paintings on the floor with a liquid paste of rice and flour. Such paintings are very popular at auspicious ceremonies performed at household affairs or in the temple. They learned how to make a resting place with flowers and how to decorate clothing and limbs with colorful paintings. They also learned how to set valuable jewels in ornaments. They learned the art of wringing water pots. Water pots are filled with water to a certain measurement so that one beats on the pot. Then as one beats on the pots, different tones are produced, and when the pots are beaten together, they produce a melodious sound. They also learned how to splash water in the rivers or lakes while taking a bath among friends. They also learned how to splash water in the rivers or lakes while taking a bath among friends. Now that's my kind of school. <laughs> Mike. 
Brigupati and I traveled together, I was reading this chapter in the Bhagavatam, and we had like an hour conversation about the need for them to learn some of these skills. And um, one of the skills that they meant, they don't mention in Krishna book, but they mention in Bhagavatam, is how to put a helmet on your head. And I was just thinking, what's the need of spending a whole day of learning how to... The Kshatriyas. Okay. The helmet thing. Well, what about throwing water in the rivers? Well, it's it's part of the what um, devotees do for recreation, huh? Learning to be friends. They do in corporate all the time now. Things like this. They go out and they um, they have all, like the kinds of activities that people do in corporate nowadays. Very much resemble a lot of these things. They get people. In fact, I know somebody who just got a degree in. I forget what it's called, but it has to do with uh, coordin corporate coordinations and stuff. He's had a master's degree. I mean, I went to the one of the meetings. It was a temple president's meeting. And, you know, it was a lot of these things, just how to make friends, how to interact, and all kinds of stuff like that. So it could be valuable. Sorry, Marsh. Microphone, please. In ping pong table. I, I, I thought it was interesting how... You know, the, the twice-born isn't just the brahmanas. The twice-born work for the brahmanas, the chhatris, and the vaishyas. So when you talk about Ranashram and human society and all the activities that the brahmanas, chhatris, and vaishyas do in order to keep human society together and cultured and all these things, then it fits together. It all kind of fits together. Like I felt some pieces of the puzzle coming together, I could see the picture more clearly of how important it is that everyone have a spiritual master and get, you know, initiated and trained, you know, whatever their position is in humans, especially the higher, you know, positions, the chachas, vaishas, and shudras. I mean, the, the brahmanas, chachas, and vaishas. Imagine if in human society, even in a, any of the, that all the persons who were in those positions had these human qualities, the spiritual arts and human qualities. I mean, that would be. And it has to do with some, it has to do with some of the words, uh, two or three pages. Uh, it says every human being should be obliged to his parents and understand that he cannot repay his debt to them if after growing up a son does not try to satisfy his parents by his actions or by an endowment of riches, he is surely punished after death by the superintendent of death. Now, um, it says, and made it, made to eat his own flesh. It's, uh, it's a very harsh statement here. Now, there is always, we always talk about entitlement. Do parents have, are entitled to expect from their sons and daughters service? Is that the word entitlement fits there? Well, I could say that when they do, it's very unseemly. In fact, some cultures in bygone ages, I think even in Scandinavian culture, there was a, it was part of the law that you could kill your children if they didn't. I, and it wasn't illegal or anything like that because they were your property. There was a lot of that feeling in, uh, as pervaded in even so-called Vedic culture, it's not, 
I don't think it's representative of the of the mood, however. But I was when I heard that part, I was just comparing it to our conversation a few days ago when we were discussing the verse Devarshi Putapnandrinam Pitranam Nikinkro Nayam Ranicharajan. And I just have a practical story that I'll try to make really brief. And that is when I went to put my parents' ashes, both of them, in the Jumuna, I met with Sambapriya, who's a god sister, and her mother had just died. She had been estranged from her family, Jewish family, and one of her brothers had disowned her because she spent so much time away f from the family and spreading Christian consciousness. And then when her mother got sick and was terminal, Samapriya went back and took care of her for the last few months. And most of the other siblings didn't come. Because, and I saw that myself when my mother was dying. That there wasn't, some of the siblings couldn't be there for that. They just, they're not trained in the science of consciousness or what it means to leave your body and it just freaks them out. They don't want to be around for it. So what Sampriya told me was after she took care of her mother really nicely in those last days, the brother that had disowned her came back and apologized and he said, now I understand. I was meant to take care of her during life and you're the only one in our family qualified to take care of her during death. And I was thinking about how this uh, admonition that you have to take care of your parents with all your wealth and everything like that, unless you're um, fully surrendered to Krishna, in which case you're going to, I mean, it's not that you would be cold or, miss, or, or not um, you know, spend time with them, but you, you would be qualified to do it at the right time and not in a mundane way that you're just obligated. And certainly from the other side, the, the parents, although they would naturally feel some kind of obligation, it shouldn't be entitlement. When I went to take care of my mother at the end, I took her uh, to an appointment uh, to the doctor in which she had to be informed that she was terminally ill. And this doctor looked at me and said, you know, you're, you're very fortunate. This is the doctor, you know, never even laid eyes on me practically. But he knew that I had come all the way from Bombay and that I was coming back and forth to take care of her. And he said, most of the people in this town, they wouldn't go down the street. And I know them personally, the sons and daughters. They wouldn't go down the street to help their parents, and your son is coming all the way that way, and it really turned the tide. It was kind of like preaching. I felt that there was some preaching done just by that example, and here's a person that was, you know, uh, helped her to uh, come our way, and then she ended up being initiated. Were you satisfied? Yes, although I, I was, uh, uh, of course I'm satisfied, but at the same time, um, in, in general dealings between parents and, and, and children, parents need service, need assistance. And then if, if there is no such service or assistance and you complain, uh, well, hey, don't feel entitled that you, you're entitled to have this 
does he? Is he entitled? A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You can lead a man to wisdom, but you can't make him think. I mean, how are you going to force them anyway if they're not into it? Right? Yes. That's the answer. You were going to say something. Reflecting on the on the point Prabhu made about the water uh, sports and the and Lord Krishna and Balram learning that, and I was just uh, thinking that you know all these activities which are mentioned that we as a conditioned living entities derive some kind of rasa with those activities in a perverted way. But if we see even in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes, you know Mahaprabhu when he went to take bath in the ocean and other places, we often hear and notice that. He was frolic with, 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 with in his childhood age, and even when he grew up and he was in Jagannath Puri, there were instances where Lord Gauranga would have these intimate pastimes uh, in playing in the water. So I was just reflecting that um, the, the, the reason probably they're mentioned there is because when we do those activities with knowledge, we're able to remember the Lord that way, that you know these are actually the activities which take place in spiritual world, and somehow or other now, we can connect them with that activity. Sarvabhaum Bhattacharya and Surabhadar were fighting it out and and joyfully splashing water on each other. And Mahaprabhu said that please remind them that they're very sober and elevated Brahmanas, scholars, and he was kidding. <laughs> he was just kidding. Yeah. He was just saying that look at see how they're playing around, you know, even though they're 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 such elevated scholars. And then there's the pastimes of Waitacharya and Lorni Inanda. When Lorni Inanda would splash water then so vigorously at Waitacharya, then Waitacharya would start calling him ill names, you drunkard. Nobody knows what caste you're from and uh the devotees of Mahaprabhu have a lot of fun they go, when they go out and play in the water. And I just wanted to make one last point about this section that always strikes me, and that is re education really is meant to bring out an aesthetic. It's not vocational originally. Actually, education was meant to bring one to a higher philosophical understanding. I mean, if you read Socrates and Plato, they talk all about how to organize human society, it's very much like Varnashrama and the importance of a human being well, being well-rounded and being able to appreciate the arts and also be physically fit. And they were saying how the, like, the full human potential comes out in that. Nowadays, when you look at college campuses, it's all weighted towards, and forgive me if anybody's an engineer, engineering, and um, what? Yeah, it's all tech or technology, or what Prabhupada used to say. And, 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 you know, it was even like 50 years ago, there were much more in the arts, and that, that was emphasized, and now it's sort of it's relegated. Yeah, how important that is. Make him a lawyer. I mean, probably, and father said, "No way, we're praying to." <laughs> when Prabhupada is sitting with his mirdanga, 
at Krishna Kanti studio in Los Angeles and he said my, my father wanted me to do this to be like this to be like this and then they said like what Prabhupada and he said like all this Sri <laughs> Dharma I just have one question for you do they teach splashing at your school you better let them know about that you have to learn how to splash water a question online yes go ahead This is from Rati Manjari. She <laughs> says, Dear Vaishnavas, please accept my humble basis. Haribo! Today we heard about the 64 arts, which I find a fascinating topic. I don't know if they are if they are mentioned in the order of importance, but I'd like to hear that the first art mentioned was the art of singing. I also have a question. How important is it for the devotees to learn these arts? On a scale of 1 to 10, it's about... It's an 11. I mean, where would we be without the arts? Srila Bhaktisiddhanta emphasized it. And Srila Prabhupada, you know, followed on that of how important it was. Look at the whole presentation Prabhupada brought. Even with his books, the first Krishna book came out, has 52 color prints. That requires artists to do 52 original paintings. And when they did the Chaitanya Charnamrita and Prabhupada said, I want it in two months, the main concession that the BBT trustees had to get in order to finish it in two months, they had to make a deal with Prabhupada that we'll do it, but we need these things. And one of them was that instead of having all the paintings that Prabhupada um, demanded a certain ratio, they would be able to use photographs. That's why you see that. Even that was a little hard because, um, what's his name? Bhargava had to come to India with his camera and take all the pictures. But that was Prabhupada's um, presentation. It was, it was about the pictures, the art, and the music and everything like that. So it's vital for our Krishna conscious movement. <laughs> Say again. Oh, I, I was saying that uh, another thing that they asked was that Prabhupada stayed there for those two months. Is that right? Yeah. He stayed there the whole oh, time? Yeah. yeah. Well, there it is. Although Prabhupada said, you know, it's not that we have to become professionals. And, um, he, you know, he didn't want professionalism so much. in the, Because when the kirtan started coming out and, and devotees were pushing more towards that kind of... Um, professionalism at that Mayapur festival, you know, Prabhupada noticed it. He noticed that sentiment. Prabhupada, interestingly, all his tunes were like originals. It's really hard to trace him back and say he's getting them all from some specific place. And they're not that many tunes. Not like he tried to write extra tunes or anything like that. He just sang a few tunes, maybe four total. And all, all is, so, and and he did notice when people were trying to get too professional and fancy. <laughs> Running out the clock on the field. Um, just a comment. This morning, um, when I was there in Prabhupada's quarters, uh, in one of the letters Prabhupada wrote to Hygriva, he mentioned it at the, at the end where he was asking a request to give some editing work. 
um, to a professional and Prabhupada wrote back saying that I would prefer it to be done. I can't remember the name of the devotee, but somebody said I'd rather not give it to professional. Yes. In fact, there's another letter in which it's obvious that Hayagriva and Roy Ram are having an argument because Hayagriva had a master's degree in English and he was basically saying, who is this Ram Roy editing? You know, what do we need him for? They were at each... They were fighting with, and Prabhupada wrote a letter saying that uh, we're, we're not depending on academics for this. We're depending on Ram Roy, he's a good devotee. Therefore, his editing, I'm accepting, and not because it's some academically refined um, situation. Well, water pots are filled with water to a certain measurement so that. As one beats on the pots, different tones are produced. They also learn how to splash water in the rivers or lakes while taking a bath among friends. They learn how to decorate with flowers. This art of decorating can still be seen in various temples in Vrindavan during the summer season. It is called Pulabadi. The dais, the throne, the walls, and the ceiling are all fully decorated, and a small aromatic fountain of flowers is fixed in the center. Because of these floral decorations, the people, fatigued from the heat of the summer, become refreshed. Krishna and Balaram learn the art of dressing hair in various styles and fixing a helmet in different positions on the head. They also learn how to set up a theatrical stage, how to decorate dramatic actors with costumes and with flower ornaments over the ear, and how to sprinkle sandalwood pulp and water to produce a nice <clears throat> They also learn the art of performing magical feats. Within the magical field, there is an art called bahurupi, by which a person dresses himself in such a way <clears throat> that when he approaches a friend, he cannot be recognized. <laughs> Krishna Balaram also learned... <laughs> Your name is Bahurupidas. Krishna Balaram also learned how to make various syrups and beverages required at various times, having various tastes and intoxicating effects. They also learn different types of sewing and embroidery work, as, as well as how to manipulate thin threads for dancing puppets. This art includes how to string wires on musical instruments, such as the veena, sitar, esaraj, and tambura, to produce melodious sounds. Then they learned how to make and solve riddles. They learned the art of how to even... They learned the art how to... They learned the art of how even a dull student can very quickly learn the alphabet and read books. Bring that back to America. Then they learned how to rehearse and act out a drama. They also studied the art of solving crossword puzzles, filling up the missing spaces and making complete words. They also learned how to draw and read pictographic literature. In some countries of, in the world, Pictographic literature is still current. A story is represented by pictures. 
For instance, a man in a house or pictured to represent a man going home. Krishna and Balaram also learned the art of architecture, how to construct residential buildings. They learned to recognize valuable jewels by studying their luster and colors. Then they learned the art of placing jewels in a gold and silver setting so that they looked very beautiful. They also learned how to study soil to find minerals. This study of soil is now a greatly specialized science, but formerly it was common knowledge, even for the ordinary man. They learned to study herbs and plants to discover how they would act as medicine for different ailments. By studying the different species of plants, they learned how to cross-breed plants and trees and get different types of fruits. They learned how to train and, and engage rams and cocks in fighting for sport. <clears throat> they then learned how to teach parrots to, to speak and to answer the questions of human beings. <laughs> they learned practical psychology, how to, how to influence another's mind. And this... In, <laughs> and thus induce another to act according to one's own desire. Sometimes this is called hypnotism. They learned how to wash, they, they learned how to wash hair, dye it different colors, and curl it in different ways. They learned the art of telling what is written in someone's book without actually seeing it. They learned to tell what is contained in another's fist Sometimes children imitate this art, although not very accurately. One child keeps something within his fist and asks his friend, Can you tell what is within? And the friend gives some suggestion, although he cannot act, he can actually not can, actually cannot tell. But there is an art by which one can understand and actually tell what is held within the fist. Christian Balaram learned how to speak and understand the languages of various countries. Not only did they learn the languages of human beings, Krishna could also speak even with animals and birds. Evidence of this is found in Vaishnava literature compiled by the Goswamis. Then they learned how to make carriages and airplanes from flowers. It is said in the Ramayana that after defeating Ravana, Ramachandra was carried from Lanka to Bhardwaja on a plane of flowers called a Pushparat. Christian Balaram then learned the art of foretelling events by seeing signs. In a book called Kanara Vachana, the various sign, types of signs and omens are described. If one is going out, one sees, if when one is going out, one sees someone with a bucket full of water, that is a very good sign. But if one sees someone with an empty bucket, it is not a good sign. Similarly, if one sees a cow being milked alongside its calf, it is, a it is a good sign. The result of understanding these signs is that one can foretell events. And Krishna and Balaram learned the science. They also learned the art of composing matrika. A matrika is like a crossword box with three numbers in each row. If one add, adds any three from all, any side, it will come to nine. The matrikas are different kinds for different purposes. Gaur Premanande. That sends today's reading of Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And we'll take up again tomorrow at 11 o'clock a.m. That'll be 
Monday morning. So please join us here at um, Govardhan Hill for the reading, and you all come back now. Thank you very much. You hear? Gopremanande, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Hey, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman, Natchari Armarman.